The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, I'm going to read um, from a book called Philippians. Uh, we are in a series uh, going through this book, and so I want to read our passage out today, um, and then we will uh, unpack a few things, and then we'll continue to celebrate God's goodness. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians 2. Uh, we're going to read from 12 through to 18. It says this. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out. Uh, sorry, in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Anybody here got any heroes? Yep, great. Got one person who's willing to put up their hand. They have a hero. Um, any, anybody just shout out a, a hero, someone who you admire. You can, you can kind of reciprocate here. Who you got? What do you got for me? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. I knew it was coming. I knew that was coming. Tay, Tay Tay's there. Okay. Anybody else? Jethro Sims. Okay. Um, all right. You guys, are, you guys are a little bit shy. You're a little bit, little bit scared to throw out your... Um, your heroes. Uh, my son, uh, he's an Arsenal supporter, which is great, um, but he, one of his heroes is Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> he even has songs on his playlist that, you know, kind of give worship to this guy. Um, we all have people in life who we admire, people who we look up to, people who uh, would in some sense be our heroes. Um, I have a hero, his name is Tim Keller, and in fact, we named our daughter after him. Uh, that's a little bit scary because he's still alive, and so there sometimes is timeline for someone to go a little bit wayward, and we're like, ooh, should we just go with a dead guy who we know kind of made it all the way to the end? We're like, no, let's trust, let's go with Keller. Uh, we, we, all, we all have heroes, we all have people, and, and in many ways, what Paul has previously done just before this passage is he's, he's reminded people of Jesus. And said, look at Jesus, put your eyes on Jesus. Look at, look at this person who is the God-man, yet is still so humble that he would come to earth as a man and he would serve and he would sacrifice his life. Look to him. Now, the, the thing about heroes is heroes are really good at inspiring us. So you, so you can watch a game of football and you can see Cristiano Ronaldo score these goals and it can inspire you to want to go out and, and play. Or you can watch Tay-Tay and you're like... Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my thing on and I'm going to sing and I'm going to be like Taylor Swift or whatever. But, but there is something that heroes can't do for us. They can inspire us. They cannot enable us. Unless you know the hero. Unless there is a personal relationship with that hero who is present with you and helping you. And this is kind of what Paul wants to do here at the beginning of this passage. Is He wants to remind these people... These Christians who are following Jesus, not simply to look at him and be encouraged by him, but to realize that he is going to help them. He is present with them. 
So because it's our sixth birthday, I thought I'd give you a great, perfect alliteration today of three Ps. Okay? See, I know you guys love alliterations. Three things for you. Uh, Number one is the power. Number two is the process, and then number three is the purpose. So this is what we see in this story. He wants to encourage them to keep growing, to keep moving forward, but to do that, they need to know what gives them the power to do that, right? So number one, the power. So he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This, this workout, right, we kind of, it's, it's familiar language. You all hit the gym, right? Everybody here hits the gym. Oh, look at that. You guys are amazing. I'm the only one here who doesn't hit a gym. Um, it's gymnasium language. It's gym language. Now, has anyone here ever started the beginning of the year and paid for a yearly gym subscription only to not really use it? Okay, so there's a few more hands that have gone up. Um, imagine doing that and then at the end of the year coming back to the gym and saying, hey, I, uh, I want a I refund. My subscription for the year has done nothing for me, even though you haven't attended the whole year. right? So there is a sense in which he's saying you have to do something with your faith. You have to do something with what God has given you. But it's really important not just focus there, but to look at what he says, because he says you need to work out something that has been worked in. Work out your salvation, for it is God who is working in you. This language of work out is not only gymnasium language, it's also the same type of word that would be used for someone who is harvesting a field or someone who works in a mine. In other words, the seed has been planted, the seed has been watered, and it's harvest time, so now you, you haven't planted, you haven't necessarily done all the work previously, but you're the one who's going to come and harvest all that has been ripe, all that is good. Or you're going to go into the mind that the materials, are, the raw materials are there, that the treasure is already there in the ground and you are simply mining up what is already there. This is important because what Paul is not saying is that you and I should work for our salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. This is what makes Christianity so good because Christianity is not about you earning God's favor, earning God's love, earning something from him, his approval. It is simply saying, no, no, I've already received his forgiveness. I've already received his love. And so now as a response, I am going to walk out in faith. It is not working for, it's not working towards. It is working out. We saw this at the beginning of the letter where Paul says in 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. 8, we, we know well, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Right? It, it's, it's a work of God, so that no man may boast. So it's grace, it's unmerited favor, it's God working for us, in us, with us. But then it goes on to say in verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, as a church, we, uh, we have the joy of having uh, lots of little children uh, be born and in our church family. It's wonderful. Um, when, when you have a baby, when they come out of the, the womb and they're there for the, maybe the first, say, 8 to, to 12 months, they, they don't walk. 
They have all the tools to be able to walk. They have the ligaments. They have the muscles. They have the bone structure. They don't have to work to get legs. They don't have to work in order to get these things. They've already been given to them at the beginning. What they have to learn to do is work out those muscles. And so over time, they go from crawling, and they start pushing, and then they start standing, and then all of a sudden, they are walking. And at that point, parents are like, oh my gosh, this is hard work because they are nonstop and they just go everywhere. This is, this is kind of what he's saying. He's saying, listen, when, when God saves you, when you receive God's grace, he has placed himself by his spirit within you and is going to transform you from the inside out. That's where the power lies. You don't have some hero like Mormonism who has gone before you that you now need to try and copy in and of your own strength. This is not atheism and self-help where you have this own sort of figment of your imagination of what you want to become. And so you go into your own strength and do it all on your own. This is different. Christianity is not simply that we have an example. Yes, we have an example. Paul has just said that. But we have more than an example. We have a person named Jesus, and he is with his people, working with his people. And church, this is what we have seen over the past six years, is God working in the lives of his people, transforming us, changing us, growing us, maturing us. And I think this is important to be reminded of because what it tells us is, one, we are all in process. We have not arrived. I don't know if you've noticed that. Kids often look up to us as if though we're the, the end of things. And as, as you become more of a, an adult, you realize, oh man, you hit your, you hit your mid-40s and your midlife crisis hits and all of a sudden you start to realize all of your, your daddy wounds and your mummy wounds. You're like, what is going on? Why am I crying? I'm 40. <laughs> and you realize God's still working on you. And at 60, he'll be still working on us. At 70, 80, 90, whenever we go to be with the Lord, he will continue to be working in us. So we are all in process, all at different speeds, different spaces and timelines. Every one of us is different and unique as God is working in us. And I'm so grateful that this not only tells me that God is working, it tells me that I'm not alone in that work. I don't know if you've had that moment where you've looked at yourself and there's been things that you're like, I don't like that and I want to see it changed. And then you get to the point where you feel like you can't do it. And it's in that moment that we are tempted to quit on our faith, quit on our growth, quit on working out our salvation. But we are reminded here, the power lies in not in your own strength. It's the fact that God is with you and God is working in you and God is helping mine out the things that he's put in us. Amen? It is so encouraging. And church, as we look back over six years, Paul here is looking back over 10 years and he wants to remind them, don't quit. Don't stop now. Don't, 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 don't just rest on your laurels now. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep moving forward with Jesus and church, we must keep doing the same thing. We must keep working. We must keep seeking to trust Jesus, rely on his grace, work the things out that he is working in us as a church. Second thing is the process. So if you, if you want to grow, you, you need to know where the power comes from, but we also need to know how we grow. And so he says, work out 
Like it's this, this gym language. It's, it's knowing that we are, we are to work. We are to be active, not passive in our faith. This is not just let go and let God. Okay? We, we may not have done anything in order to be born spiritually. God has done that work for us on our behalf. He drew us. He, he drew us to himself. He made us alive. We didn't do anything. But in our ongoing walk with Jesus, we are working with him. But then he also goes on and says in verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. This, this crooked and twisted generation, this is Paul quoting Deuteronomy. Old Testament, Moses is giving a speech to, to the people of Israel and they're going to go into the promised land and he is exhorting them to not continue to be like this. Don't be the crooked and twisted generation where you are in the, the kind of the process out in the wilderness, walking towards this end, where you are filled with grumbling, filled with arguing. You're always disputing. He's like, don't, when you get to the promised land, please don't be like that. Don't live like that. That's why it's taken us 40 years to get there. Don't do that. This, this language of being twisted and crooked, it is the idea that they are distorted and degenerated. They're not living as they should. And it is a picture of the self bending in on self rather than towards out to God, out to others. In other words... They were the exact opposite of the example he's just given of Jesus. Jesus, who, who as the God-man, had all the right in the world, had all the privileges, but he actually said, you know what? No, 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 I'm going I'm to come, and I'm going to have this, this view of loving and serving people, which blows our minds. It's distorted. And this distorted and degenerated culture, this sounds like kind of where we live. We, we, we don't live in a culture which is outward focus, love others. We live in a culture which is inward focusing, love self, serve self. And so in our culture, people will lie, people will steal, people will cheat to get what they want. Have you noticed that? People will walk over, people will exploit, people will throw others under a bus to get what they want. Why? Because the ends justifies the means. If they get what they want, it doesn't matter how they got it, right? It's nothing personal. It's just business. That's why you're without a job. And they could smile and say, right? Because this serves, this serves me. This serves us. Tim Keller has this great um, sort of illustration where he's like, what makes the solar system a system? And it's the idea that everything revolves around the sun. But imagine one day the planets are like, I'm an Aussie planet. We do me. And, and the planets start saying, well, no, we, we don't want to revolve around the sun. We want everything to revolve around us. How well does the solar system begin to work? It doesn't. In fact, if something happened, they say it would collapse in on itself and it would be no more. And Timothy Keller kind of asked the question of like, well, is, is that not kind of the human experience? The human experience is a whole lot of planets asking all the other planets to revolve around them while the sun sits there and says, no, that's not how you were made. You were made to revolve around me. 
In other words, we were made by God, we were made for God. And therefore, the only way we're going to truly find ourselves or satisfied in ourselves is if that relationship and that system is working. And so he goes on to sort of say, well, well, then is it any wonder that there is grumbling and arguing in our culture? Because the culture is not living as it was designed to live. It doesn't lead to human flourishing when six to seven billion people say, look at me, worship me, revolve around me. Nothing starts to work anymore. It starts to collapse in of itself. And human history is a story of a world of planets desperately trying to take the place of the sun. Grumbling, complaining, fighting, these are all ways of our soul trying to say, hey, you're not satisfied, it doesn't work. Start revolving around the sun again. And notice that it said that we are to, to have fear and trembling. This is the idea of reverential awe in the divine. As you look at Jesus, he starts to blow your mind. It starts to impact how you live and you start to revolve around him. I remember some years ago, we went to New Zealand and uh, New Zealand was a really good place. I had a mixture of accents there. Don't know what that was. Um, and just before we went on this trip, I pulled a hamstring. And I was so disappointed because the girls were going to go off and do their thing. The boys were going to go hit up and go to the Remarkables and we were going to snowboard every day. It was going to be amazing. And I had this really black hamstring and I was like, oh, and I couldn't really snowboard. And then one day we were, we were going to climb the glaciers. And I was so excited previously. And this walk is like a couple of kilometers and then you've got to climb up. You've got your boots with your little, you know, sort of sharp things and then you climb up the glaciers. So I'm like, I'm doing it. And so the whole time... Everyone who was a part of our group, which was four or five couples, uh, they, they left me for dead because uh, that's, that's how good they are at being friends. Um, and they all go on ahead and I'm like last with like this elderly lady and me and her had a wonderful time just going real, real slow. And I remember getting up to the top. It took hours and hours and hours and you get to the top of this glacier and it's like there's this deep blue in, in the snow and in the ice. And then you're looking up there and you're looking over kilometers and kilometers of just grandeur. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I remember thinking about the fact that once I got to the top and I became awestruck, I never thought about my hamstring. As I looked out and was like, wow, my problem and my pain was not on my mind. It's not that it wasn't there, it's still there, but I was struck in, in the awe. This is, what, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, as you look and you are in awe of who God is and what he has done and how amazing that is, all of a sudden it starts to shift how you see things in this world. And it changes the dynamic of what you see. There's a, a famous song where he says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And he tells us how we do that. We hold fast to the word of life. If you remember last week, it spoke about Jesus not holding on tightly to this privilege and his rights as God. And now it's telling us, that he, he doesn't do that so that he can become a man and a servant. We are to hold tight to his words of life. So he doesn't grasp onto it. He doesn't cling to it with force. And now he's like, but we do. We cling to his words. We cling to the gospel of Jesus. We hold tightly to who he says he is, what he says he's done, and what that means for us. How many people here, you have been struggling in your faith 
You've been struggling with, with, a, with a problem or a trial and someone in this church or a friend or a Christian family member has spoken the words of God to you and it has encouraged you to remember and hold fast again. Church, we had a dream that we would see a family of churches planted throughout our southeast Queensland region. That is, that is something that has been on our heart and we, we're starting to see that. But we didn't just want churches planted. We wanted gospel-centered churches planted, churches that hold up the name of Jesus, churches that aren't just interested in putting on programs, churches that aren't interested in making disciples of the church, but disciples of Jesus, the one who saves people, the one who loves people, the one who is perfect. And this is what he was saying, hold on to the gospel because they are the words of life. And then thirdly, the purpose. I love this. It says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor. In vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. In other words, even if I have to be a servant for you and lay down my life for you, I will do it. And I will be glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Wedding days are great. I love weddings. Weddings are, weddings are fun. They're beautiful. They're filled with joy. There's family, friends, food, drink. Weddings are great. As I'm doing premarital with couples before a wedding, I always try to not dampen the day, but just remind them that if they put all of their energy only into that day, they will not experience a beautiful, deep, meaningful, long-lasting marriage. Because the wedding day is an important day, but it's only one day. There is another day that I try and encourage couples to think about, which is the last day. Where do you want to be when you're both 80 and you're frail and you're, you know, you're maybe in a, in a home somewhere and it's like you know that there's not long to go. Like, where do you want to be on that day? What type of relationship do you want to have? We've got some new married over here who are already experiencing the joys of thinking about that, that, that moment of like, so there's the first day, which is an amazing day. We made our vows there. We, we covenanted together and that was incredible. But there's also another day where we get to the end. Where do we want to be then? And this is how Paul lives. Paul constantly goes back to the first day that God saved me, that God loved me, that God called me. It's been amazing. But I'm also remembering that there is another day where I will meet him again. And I'm living in light of that day. Not just resting on the laurels of the first day. And so there are these like two moments, these two flags, which he's learned to just swim in for the whole of his Christian life. The day of Christ is the day that he will go and meet his maker. And he knows that the, the maker will ask him, what have you done with my son Jesus? And he'll be like, ah, oh, he saved me, he rescued me, he's my Lord, he's my saviour, he gave me his grace. And what have you done with what I called you to do? And he'll be like, you know what? I served, I sacrificed, I, I lived in response to Jesus. And I love the fact that he says, and he's proud. He's proud of this church. Because he has seen that they too are walking and going after Jesus. And I love the fact that he is not scared, right? This is a man who knows that when he meets God, when he meets Jesus, we've already seen this in this book, he cannot wait to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. 
And so Paul has this tension in which he lives in, which is like, I'm looking forward to that day and we're thinking about how we're living now. And the gospel should impact both. And church, we are here today because we are celebrating God's goodness to us. We are celebrating his faithfulness to us as a church family and a family of churches. What, as the band came up, what are you celebrating today? We, we are celebrating in one sense what God has done in the life of our church. The fact that we've moved from building to building to building to building. This is building number four and we're still not satisfied with it. <laughs> but how has God been faithful to you in your journey, in your walk? And maybe you're here and you're not yet a Christian. And you're, you're, just, you're watching, you're listening, you're asking what would life look like if you were to surrender to Jesus today and give your life to him and receive his grace? How would that change your life? And what he says is you start to shine. And I've seen this time and time and time again as we baptize more and more people. We've got somebody else who wants to get baptized in a couple of weeks. They come alive. And something on the inside starts to shine. Those of us who are Christians, how are you feeling towards God today? Could, could in this moment where we come and worship again, could you reorient your mind and your heart and just think about the goodness, the faithfulness of God towards you? Not just our churches in general, but to you specifically as a man, a woman, an adult, a teenager. How has God been good to you? So we're going to stand and we're going to sing a few more songs. Shane's going to lead us in communion and we're going to think about what God has done for us. And I want to say to you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, come and join us. Place your faith in Jesus today. For those of us that are Christians and we're struggling, place your faith back in Jesus today. Hold on to his words of life. And as Paul is doing here, let's celebrate what he has done for us and is continuing to do in and through us. Amen. Amen. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.